The war in Ukraine will go down in history not only because of the significant political impact it had on the world, but also because of the profound economic changes that it created. This is not simply a war between Ukraine and Russia. It is a war between Russia and NATO, led by the United States. And top U.S. government officials, including the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, have said very clear that Washington's goal in the war in Ukraine was to weaken Russia. NATO countries have sent Ukraine tens of billions of dollars of advanced weapons and ammunition, and there have been special operations forces from the United States and numerous European countries on the ground in Ukraine helping to oversee this proxy war against Russia. But behind the scenes of the actual battles on the ground, we can see that this war is having very significant economic consequences. And in fact, by launching this new phase of the war that began back in 2014, when a US-backed coup overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected geopolitically neutral government and installed a pro-Western government that made it clear that it was going to join NATO, by launching this new phase of the war in February of 2022, Russia was sending a very clear signal that it is no longer interested in trying to integrate with the West politically and also economically. And what we've seen as a result of this war, and specifically as a result of the very harsh sanctions that the US and European countries imposed on Russia, these have led Moscow to deepen its economic integration with Asia and deepen its political integration as part of a larger Eurasian bloc. Russia's largest trading partners are now China, Turkey and India. It is moving its trade increasingly away from the West, and it is doing much of that trade, by the way, in its own currency, the ruble, and also in the currency of other countries with which it is trading, like the Chinese yuan and the Indian rupee. And one of the biggest changes is that the market for Russian oil exports has completely moved out of Europe and is now firmly in Asia. This is what I'm going to be discussing today, how in less than two years, Russia has replaced the European market with the Asian market, and how this reflects the deep, profound changes in the world economy we are seeing today. The fact of the matter is that the BRICS bloc of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa now make up a larger share of the world economy than the G7, the group of colonial nations, including the US, the UK, Germany, France, Italy, Canada, and Japan. The BRICS countries represent roughly one-third of global GDP when measured at purchasing power parity, and the BRICS share of the world economy continues to increase over time as these economies grow, whereas the G7's share is shrinking over time. And by the way, I should point out that this is before BRICS expands. In the most recent summit of the BRICS in 2023, the bloc decided to add six new members. And I did a separate video and an article, which I will link to in the description below, in which I discussed the very significant effect that this will have, in particular, the fact that now many of the world's leading oil and gas producers are now members of the extended BRICS bloc. 
But today I'm also going to discuss how the Western economic war against Russia is backfiring hard on Europe and destroying the industrial base of EU states like Germany. And there was a very interesting and revealing article published by the Spanish newspaper El País, very appropriately titled, Germany is staring at the end of its economic model. The report referred to Germany as the sick man of Europe and noted that while it's the world's fourth largest economy and Europe's biggest economy, Germany has a significant influence, especially as an industrial power, and yet that is very quickly changing. The article noted that the basis of the German economic model was the Chinese market, cheap Russian gas, and access to low-paid Eastern European labor. And now with the increasing geopolitical tensions between the West and China that are being encouraged by the US with these new Cold War policies, and furthermore, with the proxy war in Ukraine and the Western sanctions on Russian energy, Germany is now facing significant deindustrialization. El País pointed out that this is also fueling high inflation and an economic downturn, which is leading Germany into stagflation. If you look at data on manufacturing around the world, you can see that Europe is deindustrializing at breakneck speed much faster than any other region of the world, and the country that is deindustrializing the fastest is Germany. This graph looks at the manufacturing PMI, which is the purchasing managers index. And in this index, over 50 means a country has an increasing amount of manufacturing activity and under 50 means countries are having a decreasing amount. So the countries that are deindustrializing the fastest are Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic, the Netherlands, Poland, France, the UK, Italy, Canada, and the Eurozone as a whole. And not so coincidentally, the country that is re-industrializing, increasing its industrial manufacturing capabilities the fastest, is Russia. A very influential mainstream economist at the US-dominated International Monetary Fund, the IMF, named Robin Brooks, he noted on Twitter that the French economy has also shown data going off a cliff. Levels of manufacturing and services in the economy are declining very quickly, and he noted that the economy is as weak as it was during the pandemic. Brooks wrote, quote, The Eurozone doesn't just have Germany as the sick man of Europe. There are a lot of sick men. And one of the main reasons for this is the proxy war in Ukraine. Many people act as though it's a mystery why the European economies are in such crisis, but a few Western officials have admitted this very bleak truth. And back in June, Germany's economic minister said that if Russian gas stops flowing to Europe, to Germany in particular, the country will deindustrialize. I'm reading here from a report in Bloomberg back in June, quote, Germany may be forced to wind down or even switch off industrial capacity if Ukraine's gas transit agreement with Russia is not extended after it expires at the end of next year, according to Economy Minister Robert Habeck. And by next year, he meant 2024. Europe's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, made very similar comments, extremely revealing comments, back in October of 2022, in which he acknowledged 
that the economic model in the European Union as a whole, not just in Germany, was, quote, based on cheap energy coming from Russia and also, quote, access to the big China market. And now with the new Cold War policies of the West and the sanctions on Russia and also increasingly on China, Europe is destroying this base of its economy and it's having severe consequences. Here is that clip from the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell. Our prosperity has been based on cheap energy coming from Russia, Russian gas, cheap and suppose affordable and secure and stable, which has been proved not the case, and the access to the big China market for exports and imports, for technological uh, transfer, for investment, and for having cheap goods. I think that the Chinese workers with their low salaries has done much better and much more to contain inflation than all the central banks together. So our prosperity was based on China and Russia. Energy, a market. However, it's not just that. I should point out another significant factor, which is that the U.S. government is carrying out policies that are contributing to the deindustrialization of Europe by incentivizing companies in Europe to move their factories over to the U.S., where Washington is offering hundreds of billions of dollars worth of subsidies. And in fact, a top EU official acknowledged this, as was reported by Reuters back in October 2022 in an article titled U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, a risk to Europe's industrial base. And Reuters noted, I'm quoting, I'm reading here from Reuters, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act and soaring energy prices pose a risk to some of Europe's businesses, according to the European Union's antitrust chief, Margaret Vestager. Of course, the soaring energy prices in Europe are caused by the Western sanctions on Russia and the EU's boycott of Russian energy. But the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act also includes $430 billion of spending, including huge subsidies for industries. And the EU antitrust chief noted, she said that the U.S. subsidies that are enabled by the Inflation Reduction Act are working in a way that, quote, puts at risk part of the industrial base in Europe. So this is a perfect storm that is destroying Europe's economy and the United States is benefiting. But it's not just the U.S. that's benefiting. It's also Asia. And I'm going to look here briefly at an article that was published in the Financial Times that looks at the consequences of the West's oil boycott of Russia and how it has completely failed and backfired hard against Europe. Now, this article notes that in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022, although, again, this didn't begin the war, it was a new phase of the war that started in 2014 with a U.S.-backed coup that overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected, geopolitically neutral government. And anyway, in response to Russia's war in Ukraine, the EU banned Russian oil, and then the G7 countries, the Western colonial powers plus Japan, they imposed a limit and they told countries around the world that like India and China, if they wanted to buy Russian oil using ships 
or trading platforms or insurance companies located in G7 countries, they would have to agree that they would not pay more than $60 per barrel. And the idea was to make Russia lose money from its oil sales. However, as the Financial Times wrote, flows of Russian oil into Europe, previously its biggest export market, have shrunk to a trickle. Instead, millions of barrels are shipped every day from Russia's western ports on the Baltic Sea and Black Sea, and they're going mainly to China, India, and Turkey. And they have an incredible chart here that shows how dramatic this shift is. And what's so revealing about this is not only has there been a significant increase in China's imports of Russian oil, but if you go back and you look at the beginning of the graph and this new phase of the war in February 2022, you can see that before that, India only imported a very negligible amount of Russian oil. And now it has become one of the largest markets for Russian oil exports. And by the way, India is refining a lot of that Russian crude and then selling it to Europe at a profit. So India is making money from this as well, as Bloomberg reported in an article titled Russian oil still powering Europe's cars with help of India. And there's another incredible chart here that shows that India has now become Europe's top fuel supplier exporting more oil to Europe than Saudi Arabia, one of the world's top three oil producers. And where is that oil coming from that India is selling to Europe? It's coming from Russia. So these EU sanctions on Russia have been a disaster in basically every way. It's paying more now for oil from India. And as the Financial Times noted in this article, Almost none of the Russian crude flowing to new buyers is selling at under the $60 a barrel limit that was set by the G7 countries. And they quote an, a financial analyst who said, quote, the cap is definitely done. The G7 price cap was a complete failure. In less than one year, it has failed. And there's another incredible graph in here that shows that while Russia is further economically integrating with Asia. It is also moving away from Western industries, including the insurance industry and also shipping industry. And the article has another incredible chart that shows that as recently as April of 2022, nearly 80%, more than three quarters of the of Russian oil exports were using shipping and service providers that was insured by G7 or EU countries. And in as of October 2023, in just a year and a half, that figure has dropped to less than one quarter, just 20 around 20 percent of Russia's oil exports are using shippers and service providers from G7 and EU insured companies. And the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Energy Resources said, quote, the global crude oil market is being furcated into essentially two stovepipes. And he refers to the West as the so-called good guys, which shows this cartoonish Hollywood view of the world of top U.S. officials. But by the way, who is this figure, the, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Energy Resources? None other than Jeffrey Piot, who was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine in 2014, 
when the U.S. backed a violent coup that overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected geopolitically neutral government and installed a pro-Western regime. And there was an infamous leaked phone call between Jeffrey Piat, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, in which she was speaking with another top U.S. State Department official, Victoria Nuland, a notorious neoconservative, and they were discussing who the future top officials in the post-coup Ukrainian regime would be. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tani Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay, good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him Here's the next step? Now, the Financial Times notes in this article, citing a report by the Kiev School of Economics in Ukraine, which is very anti-Russian, they have acknowledged that 99% of Russia's exports of crude oil were sold at prices above $60 a barrel. So again, it is this G7 price cap is a complete failure in every single way. And 71% of the vessels, that is the ships and the service providers used are outside of G7 countries. Many of these Russian crude exports are being shipped on vessels that have addresses in the UAE, China, and Greece. And in response to this, the article notes that the US government has been imposing sanctions on firms located, at least their address located in Turkey and the UAE. But the reality is, as the FT wrote, much of Russia's new crude system has no need for Western service providers. Russia has been quite successful at building up its own fleet, finding alternative insurance, building an ecosystem of people who can help move crude and products. This is part of this new international architecture that is being constructed. And the global economy is no longer centered in the West, in this transatlantic alliance between the US and Canada on the Western side in North America and then Western Europe. That is no longer the center of the world economy. The center of the world economy is moving back to Asia, where the majority of the world population lives and where the center of the world economy was for hundreds of years before the rise of European colonialism. And you can see this very clearly if you look at the IMF data on world GDP measured at purchasing power parity, PPP, and you can see that the European Union's share of the world economy as of 1980 was 26%, and it has been steadily declining. And as of 2023, it has fallen to less than 15%. In the same time period, the US share of the world economy has also shrunk from 21% in 1980 to just over 15% in 2023. In the same period, India and China each represented slightly less than 3%, and China's growth has skyrocketed and is now, China now represents 19% of the world economy. And India has grown quite slowly, but steadily, and now represents around 7%, 7.5% of the world economy. These are, of course, the two largest 
countries in the world in terms of population, the two most populous countries, each of which has 1.4 billion people. And together, China and India represent more than one quarter of the world economy, and their share is growing, which is how Russia was able to simply replace the European market with the Asian market in just over one year. These are very profound geoeconomic shifts, and you cannot understand the geopolitical conflicts of the world today outside of that context, because ultimately all of these political conflicts are rooted in economic conflicts. And at the heart of the new Cold War being led by the US with its European allies, at the heart of that new Cold War is the attempt to try to prevent Asia from economically developing and replacing the transatlantic axis at the heart of the world economy. The U.S. Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, said openly in 2021 that Washington's goal is to work with Europe to slow down China's rate of innovation. That is a quote, to slow down China's rate of innovation. And then in December of 2023, the U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo made very similar comments. She pressured U.S. lawmakers, Silicon Valley companies, and allies of Washington to stop China from getting semiconductors and cutting-edge technologies. I'm reading here from the AFP, that is the leading French newswire. And she called Beijing, quote, the biggest threat we've ever had and said, quote, China is not our friend. I repeat, the U.S. Commerce Secretary said China is, quote, the biggest threat we have ever had. And of course, China is not actually a threat to U.S. national security. There is no way in a million years that China is going to bomb the U.S., attack the U.S. No, when she says China is the biggest threat that the U.S. has ever had, she means because China has developed at an unprecedented rate and is now a world leader in many technologies and continues to catch up. And the U.S. is trying to prevent China from being an actual competitor because the U.S. goal is to maintain its economic hegemony, its dominance over the entire world, so the U.S. can continue to exploit poorer countries, developing countries concentrated in the global south, so the U.S. can exploit their raw materials, their cheap resources, it can depress their wages and keep them dependent on exports from the advanced industrialized imperialist countries to keep them trapped in cycles of dependency so the Western powers can continue to get rich by extracting the surplus value of the workers in the South, the global South. That's what this conflict is really about. And Russia is being targeted by the Western powers because Russia has made it clear that it's no longer interested in trying to integrate with the West. It's no longer interested in subordinating its political policies and economic policies to NATO and the G7. Russia is integrating with Asia, with these countries that the U.S. is trying to prevent from developing, as Gina Raimondo says, the U.S. does not want China to technologically be a challenge to the Western colonial powers. But ironically, it's not Russia or China, certainly, that are feeling the most negative effects of this Western economic warfare. It is actually Europe, and in particular Germany, which is the hegemonic force within Europe, 
and really controls in many ways the economic and financial policies of Europe. The European Central Bank is located in Frankfurt, Germany. And as oilprice.com reported, this is a, a financial website focused on oil markets. This is an article from September titled, quote, Germany grapples with unprecedented trade deficit amid Russian energy crisis. It notes that Germany is facing severe challenges as its manufacturing output drops, forcing it to import more goods with strong economic repercussions. Much of this stems from Germany's reliance on Russian energy, having made a significant attempt to diversify its energy sources over the last year. Oil and gas shortages since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in early 2022 have sent energy prices skyrocketing and encouraged many companies to move operations to countries with cheaper gas and electricity, as well as better energy security. Although it's not just that, as I mentioned earlier, it's also because the U.S. government has passed policies, including hundreds of billions of dollars worth of subsidies for companies in places like Europe to move their factories over to the U.S., further fueling deindustrialization in countries like Germany. Oilprice.com noted that Germany is expected to lose between 2 and 3% of its industrial capacity, and the U.S. is becoming a major attraction for manufacturing thanks to tax breaks and other incentives. And in Germany, there has been a massive decrease in the output of everything, including machinery, tools, vehicles, consumer goods, and intermediate goods. It's no mystery as to why. If you look at data from the German Economic Ministry's website, the most recent data they have is from 2015 to 2017, and you can see that Russia made up roughly one-third of all of the oil imports into Germany. If you look at data for the European Union as a whole from 2000, 2020, and 2021, you can see that once again, Russia was by far the biggest provider of oil. And if you look at gas, it's even more striking. The EU imported nearly 40% of its natural gas from Russia in 2021. And over 2022, the EU did significantly decrease its imports of Russian gas to just 15% as of the third quarter of 2022. But what's often not mentioned is that the EU is now paying significantly more because, of course, the U.S. does not share a land border with Europe. It can't send gas in a pipeline across the Atlantic Ocean. Instead, the U.S. is sending LNG, liquefied natural gas. And as Reuters reported back in 2022, in an article titled, U.S. LNG exports both a lifeline and a drain for Europe in 2023, it notes that the surging costs of U.S. LNG supplies have roughly doubled since late 2021. So Europe is paying significantly more for U.S. LNG than it was paying for the very cheap Russian pipeline gas. Reuters wrote that Soaring LNG price tags were somewhat overlooked in 2022 as governments prioritized energy security amid the proxy war in Ukraine. But the article notes, U.S. LNG exporters boosted shipments to Europe by more than 137% in the first 11 months of 2022, supplying more than half of Europe's imported LNG and this made the U.S. the world's largest 
LNG producer tied with Qatar. And Politico pointed out in another report that this is costing Europe a fortune. And they know that many of the companies making a fortune selling cheap U.S. gas to the continent at eye-watering markups are European. The U.S. LNG loaded onto tankers at U.S. ports costs nearly four times more on the other side of the Atlantic. Politico wrote, quote, It's a big markup for whoever is reselling those LNG cargoes into Europe's wholesale market. And this is a significant factor in the inflation crisis in Europe, which means that real wages have been declining across the Eurozone. Average working people have less money in their bank account, which is decreasing aggregate demand in the economy, which is causing further economic stagnation. So you really have the perfect storm of stagflation. Inflation caused by the self-inflicted wound from the EU sanctions on Russian energy, plus the decreasing aggregate demand because these governments are taking a sledgehammer to the purchasing power of their own citizens. And once again, we see evidence that U.S. companies are profiting from this. The Financial Times published an article in June 2023 titled Germany Locks in More U.S. Natural Gas as It Shuns Russian Supply. It notes that Germany signed another long-term deal to import more U.S. liquefied natural gas. Germany only began importing LNG for the first time seven months ago. And of course, the companies did not disclose the price at which the U.S. LNG is going to be sold, likely because it's going to be very expensive, significantly more expensive than Russian pipeline gas. But what's also hilarious is that you know who another very significant of LNG to Germany is? It's Qatar. So Qatar is a monarchy. Europe loves to complain about Russia and accuse Russia of authoritarianism and human rights violations, but they have no problem instead relying on monarchies in the Persian Gulf, which objectively carry out significantly worse crimes, according to even mainstream media outlets in the West. What's funny is many people in the West treat what's going on in Germany as some kind of mystery, as if it can't be explained because they refuse to take off their blindfolds and see how NATO, led by the United States, is destroying Europe's industrial base and sabotaging its economy, and the U.S. is benefiting, and Russia is deepening its economic integration with Asia. Euronews, the mainstream European media outlet, published an article titled Germany went from the envy of the world to the worst performing major developed economy. What happened? And this is, I mean, it says very clearly, Germany is the world's worst performing major developed economy with both the IMF and the European Union expecting it to shrink in 2023. They also note that Germany risks deindustrialization. And they quote the CEO of a German chemical company who provides the answer, which is very simple. He said, the loss of cheap Russian natural gas needed to power factories painfully damaged the business model of the German economy. And I would add the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines connecting Russia to Germany also mean that even if Germany wanted to get Russian gas, it's quite possible that it would not be able to. 
And again, Russia has made it clear that Russia's economic future lies in integration with Asia. So the U.S. is contributing to the destruction of Europe's economic base. And it's Europe that is suffering the most. Of course, Ukraine has been suffering in this horrible war as well. But it's not Russia that is significantly suffering because Russia is economically integrating with Asia, the fastest growing region of the world. And there are a lot of opportunities for increased trade and you trade using their own local currencies. Now, China and Russia basically do all of their bilateral trade in Russian rubles and Chinese yuan. Russia and India are doing trade in the local currencies and an increasing number of countries. What we're seeing here are world historic shifts. I need to emphasize that point again. The geoeconomic order is fundamentally transforming. And yet, I don't think there's enough attention being paid to what's going on. So many Western governments and mainstream media outlets have blindfolds on. Now, today I was looking at mainstream media outlets, but you have to sift through carefully and look at dozens of different articles and find different snippets of information and put it all together and synthesize it. And that's what I'm trying to do here at Geopolitical Economy Report. I wanna analyze all this information for people who don't have the time to read dozens of media outlets and hundreds of articles and get together all of the data and understand what's actually happening. That's my goal here at Geopolitical Economy Report. And I hope you appreciate our analysis. If you like the work that we do, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube if you're watching. Please like the video, it helps to promote this material in the algorithm. If you prefer listening to these videos as a podcast, you can check out the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. And most importantly, if you like the work that we do, please consider helping to support us. You can donate in several ways if you go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. The best way is you can go to patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. We rely entirely on small donations from viewers and listeners like you. We have no institutional support. And I want to thank everyone for joining me. I'm Ben Norton. I will see you next time.